Hey, everybody, welcome back to the HC Conversations podcast. And we are back in the same space, in the same room. Everybody's quarantines are done, and it's good to be back. Yes, it is. Hey, Polly. Hey, Phil. How you doing, man? I could reach out and touch you if I wanted to. Do, do you want to? No. Okay. <laughs> but it is good to be here. It's good to be hanging out. We're going to talk about um, some fun stuff today. Great. It's so going to be great. We have a listener question. We do, which we're so thankful for because, as we say all the time, but it probably just shows how many people actually listen to this that we don't get a response. <laughs> we're running out of things to, to talk about. We don't want to just keep talking about things that we think are interesting or whatever, but we want to know what you want to talk about. So... This right. is just another reminder. Send us in your questions. You can, you can, if you have our numbers, you can text them to us. You can, you could send a letter. You could fax. Them. No, you can't fax them. Nobody has a fax machine. Um, you can email them. Machine at home anymore. You could, you, you, but we don't have a fax machine to receive the fax. That's is what true. I'm saying. Uh, man, you what? How? Or or like our question from today. You could write it on a little cutout heart. <laughs> Um, because someone wanted to write down a question. This was the only thing we had nearby. I'm like, here, write it on this heart. So I'm going to read the question today, and we're going to jump in. All right? Cool. So here it is. Um, Creation versus evolution. If God created everything, how do you explain the scientific evidence of evolution? Wow. That's a great question. And you've got 30 seconds to answer, and go. Uh, Yeah, right, maybe 30 (laughs) minutes. Um, 30 years. So we're going to start off. I want to just share my story uh, and kind of how I got to where I'm at because I work in the sciences. Um, So, you know, growing up in my church, this was never really talked about. Um, It was never preached from the pulpit. But I remember very distinctly my dad getting some uh, videos, some cassette, not VHS. VHS. Same era. Some VHS tapes from uh, somebody that he knew, and they were videos from Ken Ham. Talking about, and if you don't know, Ken Ham is kind of like the poster child and champion for young Earth creationism. Mm-hmm. And so it was all Ken Ham debunking, uh, you know, evolution, and he did it in a way that, um, as a little kid, you know, he was just like very arrogant about it. He's just like, well, this is just, you know, what it is. Yeah. Makes and it so, seem super convincing, right? Right. Like, he made it he, to to a young kid. I mean, he did make a very convincing argument. So I just assumed that that's what the Bible said, mm-hmm. and that settled it. And then I went to a different church uh, in high school, and this was actually talked about from the pulpit. There were resources in the resource center from uh, Ken Ham's organization, Answers in Genesis. Um, and then after, and I never questioned any of this. I just assumed, mm-hmm. okay, that's what just what Christians believed. And then I got to college, and my degree was in horticulture, so it's a science-based degree. We were in the College of Biological Sciences. Um, and I encountered evolution for the first time in a different setting. Uh, the professor that taught these classes was very knowledgeable. He was, a, in fact, one of the, the most knowledgeable scientists I've ever met. Uh, he was a plant pathologist, so dealing with plant diseases. Um, Ooh. But he would make, he made very, very convincing arguments and evidence for evolution. And so I was beginning to wrestle with this whole question. What well, was it evolution? Is it creation? Um, and at the same time, you know, I, I kind of started to think, okay, well, like, yeah, it is, it is real. It, it does happen. But I also started listening to a lot of um, Christian radio that had a very much Christian nationalist, fundamentalist uh, theme to it. And 
kind of started to think, well, if I accept evolution, then I'm also rejecting the Bible. And I don't want to do that because I believe, you know, that it's, mm-hmm. that it's true. And so I kind of, you know, started to wrestle with this a lot. I had a lot of questions and un- discomfort um, because I had a number of geology classes in college and clearly what I was taught in geology did not line up with what, you know, young earth creationists uh, were saying, but yet the evidence was in front of me. Uh, and it wasn't really until after college that I started to, to dive into this a little bit deeper. You see, I had been just not necessarily taught, but it was kind of the narrative is that atheist, that all scientists are atheists and that they hate Christianity. They're the enemy. And so if you accept <clears throat> evolution, that means you're an atheist and you hate Christians, you hate the Bible, you hate God. Yep. That's the goal of science is to get rid of all of that. <laughs> and then I met some. So I started working uh, in an entomology lab uh, after college and I met people who didn't claim any faith, but yet for them, the, the theory of evolution gave them a, a very good framework from which to do good science um, and make sense of the created order. And they were very nice people. They weren't these atheists. They were very kind, very respectful of me. I was working on my master's at the time. Um, in fact, it was just, they always would ask questions about my classes and showed an interest in me. And I'm like, this is these, a, your master's in theology. In theology. Right? Make sure, yeah. So. so these weren't the people that I had been taught that scientists are. I mean, mm-hmm. I was working for one of the greatest uh, theor- theoretical entomologists of our time. Ooh. Yeah. Who, who would have ever, ever thought of theoretical entomologists? Yeah. Right in our I neck mean, of the woods. Right in our neck of the woods. How about that? Um, so I started to, to think, okay, well, maybe there is something to this, if these people aren't the hateful, evil, mean people that they've been made out to be. At this time, I also met other Christian scientists who also believed in the theory of evolution. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I balance these two? Mm -hmm. Did God create everything or did everything create, or was everything just somehow evolved out of nothing? Because I had never heard that, you know, science cannot disprove the existence God, because science measures the the physical, tangible world, whereas mm-hmm. you know, religion, spirituality is of the metaphysical, something that we cannot measure with our scientific tools. And so I came to the conclusion that when it comes to Genesis, when it comes to evolution, I'm just going to be ag- agnostic about the whole thing. Whoa, well, that's like a red flag word right there. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to choose. There is evidence, strong evidence for both sides. So I'm just going to fall right in the middle and say, I don't know. Perfect. That's, I really don't know. Yeah, can't be throwing that agnostic word around. I know. That'll like send off alarm bells to some Christians. Right. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, as if what we're already talking about isn't going to send off alarm bells to some Christians. So then um, I uh, you know, discovered uh, a new resource called The Lost World of Genesis 1 by Dr. John Walton. Oh, yes. Um, and if you aren't familiar with Dr. John Walton, he is one of the... I guess the leading Old Testament scholars mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. Um, his work is, is very well done and very well documented, and he's highly respected. And so I read that, that book and started to, to think, okay, and uh, I just began to realize that Genesis isn't saying what Christians have always made it out to say. In fact, Genesis doesn't really care about our modern scientific questions because it was written at a time completely different from our own. Mm-hmm. You know, when the ancient Hebrews and other people in the ancient 
uh, Near East looked up at the stars, they didn't see stars, they saw gods. Mm -hmm. Because to them, that's what made sense. It's like, okay, there's lights up in the stars, up, up in the sky. They're gods. That's They're not big gods. ball, burning balls yeah, of gas. gas. exploding light years away. Like, eh, what? They had no idea. And so for them, you know, their world was completely different. It wasn't concerned with our scientific questions that mm -hmm. we have today. And so the Bible doesn't really talk about science. In mm -hmm. fact, the, the Genesis account talks about, you know, who did it and why he created it. And it's, a, and it's an account that's in conversation with all the other ancient Near Eastern creation accounts because it's so different than all the other accounts, but yet it's so similar. Uh, you know, the one thing that stands out about the Genesis account is it just says, you know, that God created everything. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the gods, but it was one God. Uh, he created everything, and everybody just assumed that God created. Nobody ever questioned that. Well, we're in 21st century, and we question, did God create everything, when that wasn't even a question that they had asked back then. Um, do you want to add anything when it comes to, I guess, kind of that first chapter of Genesis and ancient Near Eastern understanding? Um, oh gosh, on that, yeah, I suppose so. I feel like with everything you just said, I got a lot I want to add. I should have a notepad in front of me because I was like, ooh, I should talk, we should talk about that. Ooh, we should talk about that. Ooh, we should talk about that. So should I just start rattling off things that I thought in response to what you said? Sure. And then we'll come back to, uh, yeah. So you said some really interesting things. I was like, oh gosh, that's so true. Um, just, just one, that binary of like, you're the enemy and we're the good guys that's presented between faith and science, Christians and not like scientists or whatever, as if everyone is out to get us. And then along that line saying, um, science can't disprove the existence of God. And, and on the other side of that, Neither can science prove the existence of God. Right. Because in that other camp, like the young earth creationist camp, like we'll, we'll do that. We'll go using scientific like things and say, oh, look, this proves that God exists. <laughs> okay, if you live in our area, there's some uh, billboards um, <laughs> uh, that, that are like these Christian billboards. They're all over the country. Yeah. I think they're put out by like a Mennonite group, aren't yeah, they? Out of yeah. Like Sugar Creek. 855 for truth. Something like that. Um, and there was this one that used to be, I think it was on 77 North. And it said, it was just a picture of a frog. <laughs> it says there is existence for uh, evidence for existence of God. And it's like, no, that frog does not prove that God exists. So either way, like, we're talking about different areas. You know, like science has nothing to say about God, whether for or against. Right. And whenever you start to say that science has proved the existence of God, then mm -hmm. you're not doing science anymore. You're doing philosophy. Yeah. And that's, that's not dealing with the measured physical world that science actually deals with. Like science, the whole, any science is to uh, examine the, the physical world. Like, what can I touch and test and prod and sniff and like whatever? Right. You can't touch, test, prod and sniff God. <laughs> please, really yeah, just, please don't. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, but, but this is what we do. So like on the, on the one end of like people that are uber scientific and be like, well, science disproves God. So now because evolution, because science, well, uh, let's, let's construct um, ethics out of that and morals and you know, a philosophy of how to uh, exist in the world. We get into the area of um, like humanism, just like naturalistic humanism. Right. It's like, wait, 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 you've stepped out of the area of science. 
Uh, and the same thing on the other side. It's like, well, the science is uh, proving because there's, there's a frog or the miracle of life or whatever, you know, like just, and so, like, and so there must be a God, and so we have to live this way. It's like, no, now you've stepped out of the area of science and you're moving into something else. And I think it's, I think it might be in that book. John Walton talks about this, um, of like, don't think of a pie, but think of a layer cake. Mm-hmm. So we think in life in terms of like a pie. And I've got a slice over here that's science and a slice over here that's God. And the bigger that the slice of science gets, the smaller that the slice of God gets. But he's like, that's actually wrong. That's not a good way to think about it. And to what we're going to talk about, that's not how the original people would have thought of it. But he's like, it's more like a layer cake. You have an entire layer down at the bottom that's kind of science. It's what we can touch and feel. But above that, there's a whole nother layer on top that's this metaphysical layer. This is like the spiritual reality. This is God's space. That they don't exist separate from each other, but actually on top of each other. And so for the ancient people, as you were kind of talking about, everything that we have scientific explanations for, there was, there was nothing, nat- like there was no natural anything for them. Everything was, well, it's the gods doing this. Right. It's... Yeah, so it's a completely different world. So those were a couple yeah. of things that popped into my head whenever you were kind of going through your story. Um, but yeah, then jumping into Genesis 1, good golly, Miss Molly. <laughs> it is not about science whatsoever, like at all. Oh, I mean, just from the, from the very beginning, like the opening words, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We think, okay, in the beginning, so that must be the starting point of history. And God created uh, the heavens, and so we're thinking, like, is that, like, heaven, like, where there's angels floating, or is that, like, you know, the stars, or, and the earth is, like, the, the you know, the bl- pale blue dot. Thank you, um, Carl Sagan. What? Did we just reference Carl Sagan in a, oh, man, Carl Sagan and agnosticism, we just talked about in the same episode. We're going to hell, Paul. <laughs> well, we're getting to Darwin a little bit. Oh, geez. Um, but we think earth, a pale blue dot, the blue marble, whatever, floating in space. Okay, that initial sentence in the beginning the the term that's used does not talk about a specific point in time it's like some point in the past it doesn't really matter when the english equivalent is way back when or back in the day in the heavens and the earth to them they have no concept of the earth being a globe a sphere floating in space heavens was whatever whenever i look up and i see something that's the heavens i look down there's dirt and stuff below that's earth and so it's hey way back in the day god created the stuff up there the stuff down here from the first sentence, we can tell it's not going to be a scientific narrative. Right. And then the author gets into, and we can talk about this a little bit, um, not so much, because when you look at what God created on those days, it's like, what is he actually making? Like, right. what physical stuff is he actually making? And this is kind of John Walton's point. It's not talking about God creating physical things. In the first sentence, the author's kind of already like, the stuff exists, we don't care about that. But God gives function and order to the world. And he sets it up as a place that is functional for humanity to flourish in that space. Like, that's the point. Not right. the fact that God created the material cosmos. Yes, I believe that. Um, and interestingly, science points more in that direction now than it did in the past. In the past, it was the theory of a steady state universe. The earth is like, the universe has always existed, but then because of scientific advancements, see, science is our friend. We know that, oh no, the earth actually had, like, well, the, in the entire universe, had a beginning point. And so, as a follower of Jesus, we would say that beginning point is God. But then, beyond that, how he did that, how long that took, how long ago that was, the, the text, as far as scripture, doesn't really say. 
No, and it, and it doesn't matter. It, exactly. They're like, well, that's not the point of the story, but we want to make it the point of the story. Right, because we think that if I am literally reading Genesis, that means I'm taking all of the English text at mm -hmm. face value, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what it means. But John Walton makes a very good case, and other scholars make the case that if we're going to literally read the Bible, then we have to literally read it how the ancient Israelites would have read it. What was literal to them, yeah. Right. Not literal to me. Literal to me, and a completely different culture. Thousands of years mm -hmm. later. Yeah, and I also, I, I love how you brought up the point of like, and, and sometimes, again, people sometimes outside of the faith will use this as, see, and, and this is because we've presented it like as evidence against science. But people will say, well, see, there's these other ancient creation narratives, and some of them, newsflash, they predate Genesis. Yeah. Uh-oh, what do we do with that? Um, and they're also similar. So see, this is just ancient peoples. They all did this. Um, and Christians are like, what do, we do? what do we do with that? What do we do with that? But like you said, that's actually the, the point. It's a beautiful picture of how different um, Israel's God was compared to their neighbors. And so when you look at ancient Israel's neighbors, the, the creation narratives of Egypt and Babylon and the Canaanite people, all of them involve like some sort of bloody, violent battles between the gods to slay the chaos monster. And then they're like, let's create humanity as our slaves. <laughs> but then you have some of the same ingredients with uh, like the Genesis account, Israel's narrative. But it's, no, there's no battle between the gods because there is no rival god here. And it's not a violent battle that creates this, this earth. It's uh, God creating just by speaking, and there's beauty, and there's order, and the chaos is still there, but the chaos isn't a chaos monster or something that's a threat to God. The chaos is just there, and God speaks, and out of the chaos brings beauty, and then this God doesn't create people to be his slaves, but his, like his partners, and says, right. hey, come enjoy this and do this with me, um, but whenever we try to make it scientific, it's like, well, what do we do with these competing accounts, and when we look at it big picture, it's like, oh, this is, this is a different story. Right. It's a better story. Yeah. And it might be taking us off on a tangent for a little bit. Oh, we like tangents. But I, I think... Down the rabbit hole we go. One thing that Christians... Uh, I, I don't want to say all Christians, but some Christians don't want to acknowledge is the fact that Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's household in ancient Egypt. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the mm -hmm. Bible. Moses was highly educated. Very much so. He more than likely knew all these other creation accounts. Mm -hmm. And as you know, God was using him to write Israel's creation story, he's probably thinking about all these other accounts and having a conversation mm -hmm. with them, pointing out the fact that Israel's God is so much different, yep. that creation has a, a more elevated, um, I guess, status uh, in the Israelite narrative compared to all these others. Just, it's not a throwaway thing. Right. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yep. And that's, that's just interesting too because talk about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. If we're thinking about it, it's all over the place of this is being produced you know, traditionally by Moses by and for a group of people that have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Right. And that heavily influences the way they write. Like the counterpoints to uh, Egyptian culture, you know what I mean? And like how they present uh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, compared to 
the Egyptian gods and Canaan and stuff. It's like, we think of this, and, and I talked about this, and this actually, I think, uh, Tim Mackey is where I picked this, this phrase up, security camera footage. Like, right. we, we think Genesis is there's somebody there as it's happening taking notes. And it's like, no, Moses, traditionally, is who wrote this hundreds of years after it happened. And so th- this, is, this is part of their culture. This is what they've talked about and passed down. But then they, they took those, those narratives and those stories, and then they came through then the filter of uh, the promise to Abraham and then 400 years in slavery, and then it was written. And like, we're crazy if we think that didn't affect the way they wrote right. stuff. So it was a tangent, but it was a worthy tangent. Good. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, I guess, where we're coming from whenever it comes to the Genesis creation mm-hmm. account. Is that the Genesis creation account doesn't care. It just doesn't. It doesn't have anything to say because the people at that time weren't concerned with our modern scientific questions as to where the earth came from. Because for them, well, everybody just knew that God created it. Okay. Right. So then that gives us permission then to use whatever the best scientific explanation is for how we got this beautiful diversity that we experience on our world today. And that's the, the perspective of evolutionary creationism. Or uh, it might be familiar to some of you as BioLogos. Um, so BioLogos is a nonprofit started by Dr. Francis Collins, who is head of the Human Genome Project. Mm-hmm. Also wrote a book called The Language of God, which if you are still wrestling with some of these questions, I would encourage you to read that book or to listen to it um, because he is one of the, the best scientists of our day. I mean, he, he helped map the human genome, which is an astronomical oh, project. A major breakthrough um, scientifically, yeah. So, and he is a dedicated Christian. Oh, isn't that great? Again, like that, that just flies in the face of science and, and, and faith don't go together. Scientists hate Christians. And it's like, this is one of the top scientists Ever. In the world, in yeah. the world right now, definitely in our lifetime, in these generations, and he is a committed, dedicated follower of Jesus. Yep. So that's yeah. And so the perspective of evolutionary creationism says that yes, God created everything, but He used and guided evolutionary processes to bring about the wonderful diversity that we see today. It's a perspective that upholds the inspiration of Scripture that still believes in miracles. Mm-hmm that understands that science can't say anything about the spiritual realm because it's not designed to say anything about the spiritual realm. Um, and so it allows us then to, to do good theology mm-hmm. and try to say, okay, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about this, so we're not going to try to make Scripture say what it's not saying. Yeah. It allows uh, Christians to have a framework then to do and understand the world uh, by using the evolutionary framework uh, I, I don't want to say to believe in evolution because you hear that a lot and that yeah. implies more of a scientism. So saying science is my God. Yeah, I was say we cross that line again into making science do something it's not. It's like, well, no, you don't believe in evolution. Like, I believe in it. I put my right. faith in it. It's like, no, it's how we evaluate the world. It's an acceptable, valuable framework mm-hmm. and one of the best frameworks that we have today. Yes, every scientist will tell you that it has its, its flaws. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Um, except maybe some Christians assume that it's, it doesn't have any flaws. Um, but everybody knows that it, that it has flaws, yep. but yet that's the best use that we have right now. Best way to give 
an accurate explanation. And this is, I think, maybe like the biggest the biggest thing that we could say on, on that topic of like evolution and it's got its flaws, but it's the best thing we have right now is that when we look at specifically the first, well, two chapters, three chapters of Genesis, really Genesis one, but then two is a weird, like another creation account. But when we look at the, the creation accounts in scripture, but when we look at scripture as a whole and we see it the right way, when we understand it, the way the ancient people understood it and what was being communicated to them to their culture, and we be, we're able to see what the, the big things being said and understand it says nothing about science. What then that, that allows us to do is say, what is the best science of our day? Right. And in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years when the science changes, because it inevitably will, the more we learn, the more we grow, the science changes, we're not left going, oh no, now my worldview is falling apart because the science changed. We go, oh. Okay, so that's how God did it. You know, it allows you because, you know, years and years and years and years ago, you know, hundreds of years ago, and there was always just kind of this, well, God made all of it. And that was like popular thought too, not just religious thought. Right. Like that could completely undermine your faith if you don't have this framework of, okay, here's what the scripture is really saying. And now I can follow science really wherever it goes because science can never disprove God. Right. And so when the science changes, it's not a threat to me. It's not a threat to my faith. Yeah. Right. And the, the theory of evolution, that framework, does nothing to dismantle the resurrection of Jesus. Dude, because we have, guy rose from the dead. Can't. We have <laughs> like, that's just eyewitness accounts uh, yeah. that are written down. And the world has never been the same after that event. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the... I start guess, with Jesus. Start with Jesus. The, the framework of evolutionary creationism doesn't get rid of... Jesus or God. Mm-hmm. And some people try to say, because you threw evolution in there, then you automatically have to throw out all that stuff. If we'll see, this is where a misreading of the first of what Genesis is, because here's how that logic goes of, well, Genesis says this, you have to interpret it this way. And so, you know, literally in our mind. And so if you say that's not literal, then you say the gospels right. aren't literal and Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead. So the whole thing becomes a house of cards and it falls apart. And that's why you have to ask, you know, what was literal to the original audience, right. not what's literal to us. And you're talking about way different genres. I mean, the New Testament documents are much more in our, ball, our ballpark of how we would understand the world. It's still ancient, but it's Greek, it's Roman. Right. It's, it's Western thought versus Eastern thought. Y- yeah, and so that's where that false dichotomy comes in. If you, well, if you believe in evolution, if you don't take you know, Genesis one and two, literal six day creationism, young earth, then you can't believe in Jesus. And it's like, no, that's very, very bad logic. (laughs) The Bible doesn't ever like say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we land. Um, it's different from theistic evolution, which is kind of the perspective of God in the gaps is that God kind of set Mm. things up, things started evolving and then God stepped in. Um, and it, that is a perspective that says God is kind of hands off. Mm -hmm. And that's not at all what we see in scripture. We see God is very much hands on and cares about his creation, cares about humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And evolutionary creationism says that God is still actively involved in every step of the process. Yep. Um, And this is in contrast also to young earth creationism. And one of the reasons why I, decided to reject young earth creationism is because number one, the scripture doesn't say the things mm-hmm. that young earth creationism uh, makes it say. 
Uh, it's just a bad reading of scripture, but also it's bad science. <laughs> it's bad both. Um, it's, it, it is really terrible science because it makes claims about the created order that can't be tested. Mm-hmm. So it's just making these claims, and whenever you're doing science, you make claims, and then you test you them. You test them. And you can prove whether they're true or disprove those things. Well, young earth creationism makes claims that can't be tested. It's not a framework that we can use to predict things, unlike the evolutionary framework that allows us to make predictions, do test, and see those predictions come true, mm-hmm. usually. Yeah. Um, so evolution, there is overwhelming evidence in the fossil record, in spite of what you'll hear young earth creationists say, there's overwhelming genetic evidence. Um, I published an article a couple weeks ago uh, through Ohio State talking about witch hazels. Oh, witch hazel. And uh, talking about their evolutionary history as well. And one of the scientists that I cited who is a genetic or uh, evolutionary geneticist was at Hope or is at Hope College, which is a Christian university in Michigan. I thought you were going to say Hope Community. No. Hmm. <laughs> like, no but he's at, at um, Oh, Hope? hope? Yeah. In Holland? In Holland, Holland Michigan. Michigan? We've been, been to there. Hope College. I've been to Hope College. It's a um, nice place. Yeah. So there's overwhelming genetic evidence for evolution. We've seen it on a macro scale and a micro scale. And just the genetics opened up a whole new realm. Because maybe before we had genetics, you could easily dismiss it. But now mm-hmm. that we have all this genetic evidence to see humanity, we are 99% identical to chimpanzees. You know... There's something and really that offends a lot of people. It does. Well, it's a John Walton quote too. Um, people, uh, it, it talks about like okay, people you know evolved from you know it, when someone says oh you people like they're mad about evolution. You're saying people evolved from monkeys. He says no, it's actually worse than that. You came from dirt. <laughs> like you're dirt. You're nothing. Um, but then the beautiful thing is he's like, but the the, the whole point of that too is. God makes us more than what we are. Right. And it's like, oh, again, that's the point. Not God had a pile of dirt and literally like molded us. Different topic, but yeah. Um, shoot, you said something and I, I wanted to interject and oh, oh, bad science. Bad science. That young earth creationism is bad science. You just reminded me of a story. Um, I knew someone, I still, I still know them, but like they, they were um, a, in sciences. Uh, a, a degree in uh, geology, actually. <laughs> and there was a plethora of um, young earth creationist material that was laying around um, at a particular church. And they read through it and they're like, this is all just wrong. <laughs> like, just, like this, is, this is not true. And I was like, well, you know. Um, but I can remember, you know, as you talk about like these advancements and stuff, uh, and like new evidence and the fossil record. I remember because I was kind of in the young earth camp for a while. That was the, the tradition I grew up right. with. How threatening that felt to my faith. Every time there was like an article that would pop up online, it was like, hey, you know, there was a dig here and they found this fossil and it's like, this might be, you know, like a transitionary, you know, fossil. And I was always like, oh no, oh no, oh no. What does this mean for my faith? And it's like, and now looking back on that, I'm like, man, that was so silly. Right. Because it, what does it mean? Nothing. Like, because science is simply, it is, okay, I believe that God created everything. I don't know how he did it, how long that took, whatever, what processes. But science is just studying what God has done with this physical. Right. So, like, nothing threatens that. So, whenever we make discoveries like that, it's like, oh, so oh, that's, that's how oh, God did it. 
instead of a young earth creationist saying, no, 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 that's not like, that's not actually what it is. This is a, a separate find, organism. It's not a transitional species. Yeah, got to find ways to kind of, yeah. Because, I mean, just simple biology will show you, as Darwin illustrated in uh, On the Origin of Species, that there is remarkable similarity across a species, which is a group of related genera. Um, so they're related in some way. You can see these, these characteristics, yet they are very, very distinct. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's seen all over the world, seen mm -hmm. in the fossil record. And that's nothing to be afraid of. It, yeah. uh, it's beautiful, the fact that, okay, God, we, there was this one thing, and then God created 50,000 other things from that one thing, but yet they all share similar genetics mm -hmm. and look very similar. I mean, I, I said 50,000 because I'm reminded of... Oh, you're going to talk about your beetles or whatever weevils. it was. Weevils! Weevils! <laughs> Trying to identify <laughs> weevils, and there's 60,000 known species in the world. Yeah. And I'm working through a book this thick. Yeah. It's if, like size 8 font. <laughs> if anything, you know, yeah, science shouldn't... It's not a threat to, to God. It makes you go, wow, God. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. Um, so, yeah. So one of the, the things that... I guess help to, in addition to reading the Lost World series and, and being around other scientists, is actually reading um, On the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Well, Chuck. Um, Chucky Darwin. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it or listen to it. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to do that. No, I don't think anybody will, but you it's like, should. It's, <laughs> so it's, it's a 21-hour audiobook. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I listened to it. I didn't read it. Um, oh, man. But just if, if you're maybe a little bit apprehensive, just listen to it or read it to see what Darwin actually said. Not what Christians make Darwin out to say. We make Darwin the boogeyman. We make Darwin say things that Darwin never actually said in The Origin of Species. In fact, in The Origin of Species, he leaves it open that God could have created everything. Mm -hmm. And Christians try to ignore that fact. And Darwin himself... Huh. Saw that his own theory had lots of flaws, but it was the best science of the day and still one of the best theories that we have going for us today. So this might be a little bit off topic, but it just made me think. I said, you know, Christians like to make Darwin the boogeyman. Um, or as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, scientists, science. This is a, a broad theme of a certain strain of Christianity that we have to have an enemy. Right. Like, it's, it's Darwin, it's scientists, it's science in general. It will get into a different area. It's certain political views. It's whatever. I need an enemy. I need an enemy. I need an enemy. I need an enemy. And it's like, why? Like, what is our faith anchored in that we think we have to have this boogeyman enemy set up so we have someone to mm -hmm. attack? Like, I mean, the Apostle Paul comes right out. I think it might be in, is it in Romans? I don't know. It's one in one of his letters. He says, look, we, we're, no, we, we, we do have an enemy. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the, the powers and the principalities of this present dark age. Like, right. you don't need, we do have a very real enemy, okay? Like, his name's Satan, okay? And everything that's under his dominion, like, that's, that's the enemy. We don't need to set up these fake, ah, I just don't get that. Right. Like, why do we think we got to have... Right. So evolution and creation don't have to be enemies. Yeah, the enemies that we've made them out to be. They can be frenemies. No, because that's still an enemy. They can be friends. Why can't we be friends? Um, 
So yeah, I'd encourage you to, to do some research to read The Language of God by Francis Collins because he goes way more in depth than I could mm -hmm. because that's he's, just what he is. Because like he's dedicated his uh, life he's to He's dedicated that. his life to science, but also to being a good scholar in theology. I was going to say, this is something that a lot of this is rooted in. This, I feel like this episode's going on for a while, but there are things that need to be said. <laughs> we have to get out of the mindset, as a culture, but we're, we're talking, if you're, if you're a Christian especially, where we think experts are the enemy. Right. Like, if you want to know something about a topic, do not read the person who just has an opinion, but the person who has dedicated their life to this field of study. That's why we, like... We talk about John Walton. He is, what has he done with his entire life? Probably 40 years now. He's an Old Testament Bible scholar. And he studies ancient cultures and ancient texts and the languages. Like, I'm going to trust what he says. Right. I'm going to trust what someone like Francis, when it comes to the science, like someone like Francis Collins says. I'm not going to trust some guy who's like, well, I, uh, I think that's wrong. And here's my opinion. I Googled it. You know, like, don't be afraid of people that are experts. So read experts in the biblical languages, in you know, the, the history and the context. Read experts in the sciences and then go, oh, okay. Right. And one of the things that whenever it comes to rejecting experts is Christians forget that everybody has a gift mm -hmm. and that ability to do scholarship, to be really skilled in one area is a gift. It's a gift. Whether you're a Christian or not. Yeah. It's how you're using that gift. And also it's a gift to the to the church, the church collectively. Right. So when someone like a John Walton like he's using his gift to do the research and to put it out there for so much of the church to say, we don't want what you have to offer the church. It's like, well, wait a minute. That's like a rejection of how the body like the body of Christ works. Like Right. Yeah. So I mean after you get through all this stuff, you can maybe disagree and say, well, here's another perspective. That's fine. But don't write off perspectives before you've ever, you know, right. given them the time of day. Them. Yeah. Um, so one more thing about Young Earth Creationism that Yuck. should be rejected just on that basis alone. It's not a perspective that any of the early church fathers had. It's it a, is a very new very, phenomenon. Very new, um, within the last 150 years, but really within the last 40 years has it really started to, mm -hmm. to become what it is today. Uh, and so for that reason, it should be rejected. Yep. And that's not to say that everything old is good and everything new is bad, but... It's one of the tools you use. Right. You, know, you look at scripture 